And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Boeuf Bourguignon, French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. It's a perfectly delicious dish. So we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we're fortunately find it's just right. Now for the thickening of it. Now we want to get our pan hot and we're going to saute it in this first until it's brown and then we're going to put it in this pot in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is going to go in a 325 oven and it should cook very, very slowly just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling. You don't have to look at it anymore. Then all let the soft grain out. And then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. You want the flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the stew. That's going a little too hard, so I'll put it inside. There. In about two or three minutes, if you have it in the icebox, you heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then, and then you cover it and, and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve. Right now. Hi, this is Anita Cox, and you're dirty. It's time for your bath. I'll be gentle as possible, but first, you're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. Now lay back. And let me do the wet work. Hello and welcome to another episode of Eat It, a podcast about food. I am Mr. Hershey Parks and I am here with famed chocolatier all the way from across the pond, Mr. Nigel Nougat. I've only got one tooth. (laughs) And it's a sweet tooth. And it's a sweet tooth. I wonder if they can figure out what we're going to talk about this. This. Uh... Well, they know it's sweet. They and it is something that uh, we have touched on on uh, past shows, but it's a, a topic that's important enough for us to dedicate an entire episode of Eat It to. And we are going to look into chocolate, chocolate, cacao. Uh, d- the big, big, big topic: dark chocolate, white chocolate, uh, milk chocolate. It it is heaven. What and you know what? What what's your take on chocolate? Where does stand? Where does it stand on your pantheon? 
Well, I'm going to cover some of the bitter too as, aspect oh. of it because I'll be I'll be covering a little baking chocolate this month too. Awesome. It'll tie into exactly everything that I have planned here. So, so yeah, yeah. Chocolate is it is it uh, is it your go-to sweet? Has it always been your go-to sweet? No. Wow. No, I mean, now I love chocolate, but when I was a kid, I didn't dislike chocolate but it wasn't my favorite it was it was just it was on the menu i like sour things and and like fruity things and uh i liked chocolate things when they were crunchy like twix bars and stuff like that but i liked all the the uh, the caramel and the other stuff and the chocolate was only secondary like very rarely would i eat a hershey bar but i would eat like a chocolate bunny at easter and stuff like that and I loved like chocolate syrup, chocolate milk. The chocolate syrup you would stir into the milk. Yeah. Quick. Holy shit! Look, chocolate quick too. Oof. I like the syrup better for milk. I was thinking, and let me know if you agree on this perspective that chocolate, when you're young, it's chocolate, okay? But as you get older. If, if chocolate is your thing, I think that you start to notice the subtleties and the differences and uh -huh. in chocolate. Like, like for instance, like I'm a coffee drinker and, and I like wine. And when I first started drinking coffee, I'd drink anything. You know, when I first started drinking wine, I'd drink anything. But as I got older, I developed uh, my palate got more drinkers get like that. Yeah. And, and cheese start, eaters. Yes. And you start noticing that chocolate is as complex as wine cheese coffee it it is it is it, it has so many different levels to it would you would you agree with that with oh that? yeah i you see i don't think i became a like actually as a kid i would fiend for like chocolate pudding and chocolate cake yeah we're 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 pretty damn crazy delicious but um um I think, and it's funny, it's this is back to uh, J Guys and Jedi. Oh. I think it was in my probably early 30s when somebody brought me some the Canadian Kit Kats, and I bit into them, and I loved Kit Kats, but then I bit into these, and it was just like, wow, whoa, <laughs> this, you know, you could instantly tell the difference in the chocolate. Oh, you know, in the flavor of the chocolate. And from that point on, I, I was just like, oh, okay. You know, I, I'm late in the development of my, uh, like, an appreciation for food. Food was like, I had food that I liked when I was a kid and, and like, through college and, and through my early 20s. But I didn't like food. You know, I wasn't, like, thinking about, like, like... Like going to a restaurant, sitting down and eating and trying something new wasn't really anything I really thought about doing. Somebody would drag me out to like Indian food and stuff and I'd be like, okay, I'll try this and be like, oh, hey, this samosa is fried. I like it, you know, or what, or, or whatever, you know, but I didn't really think about it that much. It was something I put into me to fuel me and sometimes it tasted good and that was great, but it wasn't anything I really thought about till... I started working at that Mexican restaurant and the, the boss there like really got me into cooking and 
and you know how to how to do things correctly and stuff and tasting the difference between you know something done correctly and something done half-assedly and stuff like that and that's when and that's when and that's when i started experimenting with darker chocolates it wasn't until like the last decade or so that like like in america where you go into the grocery store and they'll have the section with like you know the really high percent yes yes chocolates and stuff like that and everybody everybody loves them now but like you had to go to you had to like well you're in new york city you could find that stuff you know any time in the last hundred years in new york city you could but, but, but you'd have to go someplace to get it you know yeah, for a while and, and most of it came from europe you know there and like, right. like like coffee uh we're in the middle of an american chocolate renaissance where where we have artisanal chocolates being made it wasn't until i got my current job that takes me you know um across the pond and all over these places that that i developed a I found out what what chocolate can be. I mean, uh, Hershey's chocolate was was pretty much you know chocolate that I would eat, and it was chocolate. Chocolate was chocolate. But when I when I first went to, for example, Belgium, <laughs> yeah, and and you're walking down the street and you come across a real chocolatier, and you watch these guys work, and you watch them do this stuff, and then and then you taste it. And, you know, it, it, it has such a low, you know, milk chocolate has such a low melting point in your mouth that you put it in your mouth and it and it just dissolves and it has all of this stuff going on. And and it was there that I said, man, chocolate can be so much more than it is. And to me, chocolate is one of the foods that that I, I didn't eat a lot of as a kid. I liked it, but it just wasn't around that much. But if I taste a piece of chocolate, like I'll come home from work or I'll come home from doing something and I'll have a piece of chocolate, all of a sudden it really does kick something in, at least in my endorphins. Yes, that I have to keep having more. And and I just I just can't I'll like go through a candy bar and then, okay, well, maybe I'll just taste a little taste of this. And it doesn't help that, you know, that my friends have chocolate from all over the world and this and that. And, but, but man, it is one of the only things that, that affects me like that beer, well, wine, nothing affects me like that, but chocolate does. And I don't know how or why. Yeah. I think it's similar to it's pleasure endorphins, like drugs as somebody who's like to, who enjoy has had a past of enjoying dabbling in different kinds of drugs. And this is something also new to chocolate to me, and maybe it's because I'm eating darker, more concentrated chocolate or something. But yeah, I I I, I used to have a girlfriend who, if she got good chocolate, took a bite, she did the chocolate dance. Mm. That when she would do it, she would she would flap her arms up and down and sort of dance around and just like eyes rolled back in the head. And I always used to think it was cute, but I just thought it was something she was affecting. And goddamn, now if I get some good chocolate. And especially if, you know, it's just in the right, like maybe after a meal or something or just, you know, I can feel the rush of of endorphin pleasure and, you know, whatever endorphins that that, you know, probably a low amount of caffeine, too. But it it 
it's a real thing. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and it's not something you're going to get from like chocolate milk or, or cocoa no. pops or something, you know, something no. that's flavored with chocolate. It has to be like pretty pure and dark. But boy, oh boy. Oh, we I go into it. I'm going to go into a little bit about what people might or might not know about chocolate. Have you ever seen a chocolate uh, tree or chocolate pod grow? It, it is the no, most. No, I've seen pictures of them, but I've never seen very, one in person. Very, very unusual. Picture like a small little tree, and you would you would think that the um, that the fruit would hang from the tree, but the fruit hangs from the stalk, and it looks almost like a football. And it's harvested when it is it's ripe, and they have to cut this chocolate this this fruit pod open with a machete and it's filled with this gel and inside the gel are your cocoa beans now now the the gel is edible it has a it has a nice a little bit describe this a little bit of a chocolate taste but the beans have to be spread out they have to ferment in the sun and then they have to be roasted just like coffee and they have to be ground and when they're ground, they form a paste, and that's your cocoa butter. That 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 that's your your concentrated chocolate. It's a very very labor intensive um, process to do, and that is why we have so much fake chocolate in this country now. Right. Most of any Easter Easter. Um, I think when America started, they said, let's just water down our chocolate like crazy. Yeah. So make it easier on everybody. Yeah. The chocolate Easter bunnies there. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll make it that way. We'll be able to make cheap chocolate all the time and nobody will know better. Yeah. Oh, and, and we don't, we, we were, we were raised on that. It's only now that we're getting uh, a taste of the really good stuff. And we, we have the Mesoamericans to thank for, for chocolate the 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 um the the toltecs the mayan the aztecs these were the people that that perfected chocolate and and the aztecs uh chocolate was so valuable that the cocoa bean was used as money and it's interesting that archaeologists have found you know caches of these cocoa beans buried like people would bury gold and silver. But what cracks me up is that people would even counterfeit cocoa beans, making some out of clay to mix in with the regular cocoa beans because it, it, they were so valued. And you could only have them. You could only eat chocolate. And the um, the Mayans and the, the Aztecs drank their chocolate. You could only drink it if you were going into battle or, of course, if you were um, – royalty that that's how uh that's how you would consume it and when cortez first got to you know mexico they have you know montezuma gave him a taste of chocolate and to to the to the european palate it was disgusting it i mean you know in europe well, i wonder if it was like coffee if it was well, like bitter you know it was more of a bitter very drink. bitter it was very bitter um it was usually frothed up. They had a special. Um, I don't know if you in your Mexican restaurant you work that you've ever seen the uh, Mexican chocolate frother. It is a, a stick that basically has rings on it, uh, and the rings are loose, and you would 
you would froth this chocolate with this and it would become mostly um, froth and the Spanish would drink this. It's, it was, it, they drank it cold, but they would infuse it with chili peppers, pepper, uh, maybe a little bit of honey. Uh, and, and that's how they would, they would drink it. There was no, there was no sugar in there and just the honey is but just a little bit. And, and they thought it was disgusting. They took it back to, um, to the new world where it was basically forgotten for a long time before, um, we figured out that you could add sugar, you could add cream to it and it could become this, this wonderful drink that the, that the popes tried to ban because it was so decadent that they figure it would make every woman that tried it it was considered an aphrodisiac to oh. sex, and it would, they figured it would make every woman that tried it would lose their virginity. So it make it's them still kind of considered an aphrodisiac. It is. And so the, the popes banned it. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't even, but it got out. And, and we, you know, we came very close to be for a while, we came close to becoming a, a, a an incredible chocolate drinking culture. Coffee eventually, took over but you can still find coffee sets if you know what they look like at uh flea markets and garage sales and and it was a it was a process a labor-intensive process to drink to drink your chocolate are you are you a you know, we we drink chocolate hot usually here um except you who which which isn't even chocolate but but are, are you a hot chocolate lover i love hot chocolate yes well, I would recommend someday that you buy uh, in the Latin section of the grocery store, get some abuelita. You know, oh. you, you know, the- oh, I have. I've, I've, I sure have. I, yeah, we used to have that around. We didn't serve it at the Mexican restaurant, but we had it in the um, in the kitchen, you know, in the in the back room. And the boss would make us up some hot chocolate with it every once in a while. And uh, he would he would make it. He always made it with cinnamon. Yeah, it's it cinnamon. A lot of the chocolate that you buy at the Latin markets in those discs contain sugar and they contain cinnamon. You could make them with water or you could make them with milk. You just follow the directions on there. You, you break off a couple of pieces of the chocolate depending on how much you, um, you're going to add the milk to and you let it heat up and you could use one of these Mexican chocolate frothers. You don't have to, but, but it yeah, does. he never, I've never yeah. seen one of those. Yeah. It's, it's very, really very interesting. To. It looks almost like a, like a wood puzzle with all these little rings on it. And it, it froths up this, um, the chocolate drink and, uh, and yeah, it's great. If, if anyone out there ever has a chance to try, it's a very simple recipe. You can look it up on YouTube. You can find several different brands of um of spanish chocolate or mexican chocolate at your grocery store uh after you've had chocolate like that it's really hard for me to go back to swiss miss or whatever in the in the little packets that that with the fake marshmallows but that's what we had when we were kids you know and 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 once in a while i would i would drink that and in dynamite magazine one time there was a whole thing about what you could add to hot chocolate. And I'll never forget one guy said, just stir a bunch of peanut butter in it. And holy shit, <laughs> from then on, I was the kid that would make hot chocolate and put a tablespoon of peanut butter in it and stir it in there like hell. And, and anyone that tried it was like, oh my God, this is great. I haven't had it in 30 years, but that's how I used to like my, my, I, 
I like that. I, I used to just take the Swiss Miss, and at first I would just double it. I would use two packets instead of one, but that was a little too soupy. Yeah, you might as well so, sort it. So I would do like a packet and a half or so, but I always had I, ne- I always needed more to make it not taste watery to me. But you know, we we'd done we we used to do real like warm up the milk hot chocolate at home. But I always liked the Swiss Miss, but there was a time period. Oh, it had to be it's it I want to say 5 years ago, but it was probably 10 years ago where that where they really got um they were trying out a whole bunch of different um Swiss Miss. They had a mint one. They had uh, um the one that took the cake was and this had a bit of peanut butter flavor to it was Ooh. a butterfinger oh, Swiss man. Miss. And oh good lord, that stuff was good. And I thought, like, when it came out, I bought a a box of it. I'm like, I got to try this. This is probably going to be disgusting. And it was like a liquid Butterfinger bar. It was just heavenly. So, uh, like, I would go out. I I would Every time I would go shopping, I would pick up a box of it. I should have picked up five boxes of it. Because it it went off the market after a while. It was just test market. I wish I could remember what what other flavors there were. But there were other interesting flavors. But... Butterfinger was the one to to beat. Boy, oh boy, it was good. I wish they would bring it back. I wish Rick and Morty would reference it so everybody would demand that it comes back. Like, like the uh, the Asian the, uh, Mulan sauce, right? Right, exactly. The Szechuan sauce. Now, I'm going to talk to you about, I want to ask you about um, different kind. Now, have you, did you always like dark chocolate or was it something that get, grew on you? I didn't really, I, I like it. As soon as I knew what dark chocolate was and tried it, I liked it. Like I'd seen, I'm sure I'd had dark chocolate before, like in a uh, sampler. You know, my grandmother always used to get us the Whitman samplers and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, the Whitman sampler. So I'm sure I had some dark chocolate in that, but it was usually cut by most of the time. Like I was not a fan of most of the fillings of Whitman samplers, so like it was always cut by some gooey sauce in the middle of it. So I never really thought about it that much until like my adulthood, and now, yeah, I just I love it. Well, I remember finding a a block of Baker's chocolate in the cabinet one day, thinking it was a. And just said, holy, where the hell is they been hiding this from me? And breaking off a piece of that and going, oh, what the hell is this? This is not chocolate of any kind I've ever had. And it it took a while for me to appreciate the um, the nuances of dark chocolate. And uh, but yeah, now I, I'm a fan. I'm I'm a fan of of dark chocolate. Um, I still I still love milk chocolate, too. But. But dark chocolate is just another layer, another level of chocolate that um that that's terrific. I'm pretty sure it's Baker's chocolate. I think there's a video of a of a little kid like toddler age with the mother, and the mother's like, "Here's some baking chocolate." 
And I and I think it was like powdered baking chocolate. And she's like, he wants to eat it. <laughs> we we've been telling him for for the last month <laughs> that he does not want to eat it and that he can't eat it, but he he won't let us <laughs> won't let us alone. So we're gonna let him eat it, and we're gonna tell him right now, you're not gonna like it. <laughs> and the kid takes a big spoonful of it, and just the look on his face is <laughs> priceless. But then you see him thinking, you can see like that early early childhood. First thing going like, wait, I got to pretend that I like this <laughs> or I'm going to lose this battle. <laughs> yeah, it's like the kids and the parents let their kids suck on lemons. You know, yes. they're, they're, what a bunch of assholes. But, I used to love to suck on lemons oh, when I was a little kid. I, I did, too. I One of my cousins. Was, I'd eat them. My like cousins, oranges. Yeah, my cousin was from Mozambique and he used to slice up lemons into wedges, sprinkle them with a little salt. And then put a little bit of crushed chili on it and just oh. suck on them. And my mouth is watering right now, like just thinking. That about sounds it. good. It really, it really was delicious. It um, sounds like what a lot of people do with watermelon too. Yeah, salted watermelon. My dad is from Texas, and he loves to put a little bit of salt on his watermelon. And grandfather did that too. It actually opens up the flavor. And curiously enough, people, the what do you think about the chocolates out there now that have sea salt in them? You're seeing a lot of that. It's not bad. I've tried those before. It's not necessarily my favorite, but they, I mean, salt and sweet go, you know, I think is that's another thing that like, although kids like salt and sweet a little bit more of like maybe in a Cracker Jack sort of way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, I've, I've noticed there's a lot of spicy chocolates and a lot of, uh, chocolates with salty stuff in them or bacon in them. There's a lot of them with, with bacon in them. Well, salty and sweet and savory yeah. and sweet go good together. I mean, we we do bacon chocolate chip cookies at work, so. Oh, and well, hell yeah. Uh, I've made moles before. You know, chocolate is an important ingredient in a lot. Oh of yeah. Hispanic cooking. Oh my God, how did I forget to put mole on my list of things of of things that I used to cook with chocolate at the well the mole so we used to get um mole sauce in a jar because the process i worked in another a vegetarian place where we made mole and oh my god what a process it was oh it is it really is my um my friend shelly and i years ago uh we decided we were going to make mole from this recipe that how had, many ingredients I'm, did I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kid you when it said it probably had about 12 13 maybe even 15 ingredients oh that's an easy one yeah no, there's there's ones with up to like 75 ingredients oh. in it it's ridiculous this one was nuts it had everything from plantains to crackers did it have crackers uh, it, in it? it didn't have crackers it was thickened with with um with masarina it had if i can remember it had pumpkin seeds it had mm. garlic it had it had sesame seeds. It had all of this stuff that we had to grind together. <laughs> and, of course, it had chocolate in it. And it was delicious. You just simmer a little chicken breast or something in there. And, man, it was terrific. And even even a lot of uh, American uh, chili recipes, like if you're going to have a, a, a chili on a hot dog from say detroit or any any um of these cincinnati chilies 
they have a little hint of chocolate in there. Uh, it's a Greek thing, I think. Most. Oh of yeah. They, they, they I had I had Cincinnati chili on my list of one of my favorite. Yeah, it's almost like meat hot sauce with chocolate in it. The. Yeah, I just Cincinnati had chili. It's so I, delicious. I just had Cincinnati chili um, about three or four days ago when I was in Cincinnati, and I had a uh, four-way, which was uh, spaghetti, chili onions and cheese <laughs> on yep. and it was absolutely so good oh my god it, it just terrific stuff man like perfectly seasoned like spiced cincinnati chili is like one of those things that the it's just like as i eat it i just want to keep eating more and more and more of it it almost just like stokes my oh it's so good now do you have any favorite chocolate recipes that 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 you do, or is there pretty much are you just a chocolate bar type of? But well, like uh, my favorite, like if I was gonna make a chocolate cake, I would do this. Cho- I, have a, I have a chocolate cake recipe that calls for pudding and mayonnaise. Mayonnaise cake, yep. And it's the it's moistest, chocolatiest stuff you'll ever eat. But like my favorite recipe with chocolate in it is my black bean dip. Ooh. And uh, maybe I should make maybe I should make some this year when yeah I, I, when I come up. I had the black bean dip with it's with, a, with chocolate in it. That sounds absolutely wonderful. We it's, uh, yeah it's it's black beans, chocolate. It's got garlic. It's got a little. I usually use tomato paste with mm-hmm. this one, and then it's got garlic. It's got onions. It's got chopped up uh, um, raw red and green peppers. Um, the onions, you um, totally uh, saute them and caramelize them first, and then baking chocolate and chipotle peppers. Oh, which go very well with the smoky taste of chipotle peppers. I'm sure they would go great. Oh, my God. It's, it's the kind of – it's one of those dips – where I love making it because I'm like, oh, you're going to love this dip and people. And, you know, you know how black beans are when you make black bean dip. Yeah, they're, they're, it's just just the skins of them are black. So the majority of the bean is white. So it ends up you end up with this sort of grayish color to it, you know, with with little red spots in it. You know, the chipotles and the, the peppers, but you can use red peppers, yellow peppers, any kind of sweet peppers. And uh, and you grind it in a Quasinart, you know, really fine. You got to add some water to it, you know, get it all ground up. And it's not the most beautiful looking. It's not like like a black bean dip you would see in a jar or something. It's all ground up. And people take a bite out of it. And the first bite, they're just like, oh, that's not bad. But it's enough to get them a second bite. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, they're still scooping out of it going just like, this is great, but it takes them a few bites. So many recipes are like that. They might not be the prettiest thing to look at, and they're like the last thing anyone tries at a, at a party. But then once they try it, it goes really, really quick. Uh, one of my favorite things to make with chocolate is I have a recipe that – of a, of a bun cake that my mom used to make. It is a Ooh, chocolate bun chocolate, cake is good. Double chocolate zucchini. Bun oh, okay. Cake. So you, you grate up zucchini, and it takes um, powdered cocoa, Hershey's, 
and then chocolate chips and a bunch of other ingredients and the zucchini and you make this bun cake and you put a little glaze on it and it is so moist and so chocolatey i haven't See, made i don't it. like zucchini but when you put it in cakes like yeah. that it just Can't, makes it really super moist know. you wouldn't even know that zucchini's in there but it is absolutely one of the best oh you know what else i just thought of chocolate nutella which oh which should be to me I, I i bought a jar maybe two years ago and i and i promised myself i would never buy another jar of nutella again because it is like it's like a drug it it's it is hazelnut mixed with chocolate and what americans have for peanut butter europeans have for nutella they make crepes with it. They put it on there. The Belgians put it on their waffles. It it is absolutely sinful, man. That's the only thing I can think about it. It's just holy cow. It is just so freaking good. And that chocolate, man, it's just delicious. I just had a friend who was posting they were eating some French cheese that was chocolate. Really? It was super fancy, expensive French chocolate. It was like double cocoa blah 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 cheese and they're like this is that they were just like this is so incredibly delicious you would not believe it well the french do chocolate well they the french you know a friend when i have been in france uh, it's not kidding what they say about their croissants but you get a chocolate croissant over there and they put as much time and love into this chocolate croissant with their folding and their butter as they do in a regular croissant and you're just wondering it's a good thing i don't live here because I could have one of these every single morning. I could start my day with a chocolate croissant. And, it, oh, but yeah, chocolate to me is right up there with with the forbidden fruit that I try and stay away from or or the bad girl that you try and stay away from. But you <laughs> always wind up going back for, you can't help yourself, man. And and it's just the best. And and speaking of that, um, I did a little bit of historical research. Uh-huh. Once again, you're not going to believe this. And uh, but did did you know that George Leonard Herder of Bull Cook and and Authentic Historic Recipes and Practices has quite a bit to say about chocolate? Surprisingly being all the way in minnesota he has a lot to say about chocolate as he has a lot to say about just about everything but uh well the 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 just the the aphrodisiac oh angle of chocolate it automatically puts it on herder's radar it's on herder's list all right um he starts off by surprisingly he does give the correct aztec name for chocolate which was a chuktalal my Aztec is a little bit uh, rusty, but was made by the Aztec Indians of Mexico, as well as Central American Indians. They used ground roasted fermented greens of the cacao tree. The Indians made a frothy drink from the cacao beans that they preferred to wines and cactus beers. Sometimes they flavored their drinks with pepper or honey, and at times with spices. The Spaniards added sugar to the drink instead of spices or honey, and the Indians used Choctaw 
mixed with pepper to make sauces for such things as roast turkey and roast deer. And these sausages are still in use today in some of the finest restaurants in Mexico. And chocolate was well known in Italy, Germany, Spain, and France shortly after the conquest of Mexico. And people started adding milk to it. He claims that in 1657, a Frenchman named Pierre de Sainz opened a chocolate store in London and sold solid chocolate. And in 1700, an Englishman named Bruce Leonton added milk to it, making the first solid chocolate, giving us milk chocolate. And, uh, you know, you were mentioning about the aphrodisiac qualities of it. Um, when the Spaniards brought chocolate back to the Pope, he infallibly forbid its use on the grounds that it was an aphrodisiac. He believed it might put virginity of young women in jeopardy. I tried this, and it is not true. <laughs> <laughs> George Leonard Herter uh, had that to say about uh, chocolate, and we are lucky enough that George Leonard Herter also has a recipe for Matazuma's chocolate. And Montezuma was rumored to have 50 glasses of chocolate a day just to uh, keep up with his uh, sexual vigor that he had to have in order to, I mean, it's good to be the king, you know? And so he has the recipe, and this is Montezuma's original recipe for chocolate. Hot, no, actually, it's not hot chocolate. The Aztecs drank their chocolate cold. So I happen to have it here, and I made it this afternoon. So the first Ooh. thing that you need to do is you need to slice up a green pepper. He doesn't specify what green pepper to use. So I went ahead and used a jalapeno. In a saucepan, you're going to throw the jalapeno pepper with seeds and all and one and a half cups of water. You're going to bring this to a boil for about 10 minutes. Ooh. Then you're going to <laughs> you're going to strain the water out of you're going to strain the chili peppers out of the uh water and you're going to add that water to 4 cups of regular water and you're going to boil that. And to that you're going to add a dried guajillo chili which is the, more of a type of chili that was grown in Mexico. And you're going to add uh, one-fourth cup of Baker's chocolate, Hershey's chocolate to that. You're going to add a pinch, a little dollop of honey, a few black pepper corns, a little bit of cinnamon, a cinnamon stick. Now, I was a little bullshitty about the honey because i thought honey was a new world invention that when they said that when we brought bees over but it turns out i did some research and the aztecs did actually have a form of honey that was uh, made by a, a bee that couldn't sting it wasn't as sweet and it didn't produce as much honey as our bees did so you boil this up okay and you make sure the chocolate melts and and uh yeah you just let it get cold and i have it 
Oh, this should this should, this is gonna be very interesting. I have not tasted this. Uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm very curious to see if. Usually I'm going yum yum yum. Now I have no idea what this I is have gonna taste like. No idea. It's, I think it's gonna be pretty spicy. Well, I think, but that's the way they drank it, and that's why the Spaniards did not like it. So let's see. I mean, it's amazing that that he can come across Matazuma's recipe. I mean, think of the connections he must have. Right, here, here we go. Yeah, pouring it into my mug here. This is at room temperature. I did not taste this as much as I wanted to. My wife is allergic to chocolate, so I had to. Oh my God, the poor I know, woman. I had to clean up the kitchen really good, but gonna give it a smell first, all right? Smells very chocolatey, all right? So let me um, let's see what we got here. <laughs> Forgot to tell you, it also has vanilla in it. Um, it's spicy. It it's, it's I can hear that in your voice. <laughs> chocolatey. It's spicy. I can taste. Is I can it bitter? Taste the, yes, it's it's bitter, which is uh, exactly what um, what the Spaniards said that it tasted like. It's got very little sweetness from the honey. You can't taste the vanilla um, very much. Uh, it, it's not bad. I mean, it's not something that I would yeah. <laughs> seek out. It's chocolatey, but it's also not the consistency is not what you um what you would expect from our right. hot chocolate. It's not. It's it's watery. Right. It has a lot of chocolate flavor, and. You can the heat kind of comes up. I mean, it probably looks like diarrhea water, right? It, it does look like like diarrhea water. Um, <laughs> it's for what it is. I'm not going to call it a hurt or hit, but hist- I love to read about conquest, and I do have I've actually read books about chocolate and with the way the Aztecs did make it. And I'm going to have to say this is probably according to what I've read, pretty close to what it tastes like. Um, spicy. Uh, I can taste a little bit of the pepper, a little bit of the cinnamon. Uh, you know, if if I were to add sugar to this and some milk, I think that it would actually taste mm. a lot better than it than it would right now. But it's not it's it's not the worst thing I've ever had. It um, it's not going to be a hurt or hit, but it is definitely a I think it's historical. I think it probably tastes very close to to what um to well, what between the chocolate endorphins and the pepper endorphins, it probably was good for going into battle. Yeah, I I can see to where it would definitely be something that you would take into battle. So, yeah, I I'm I'm continually impressed by uh George Leonard Herter and his knowledge that it, it, it is it is definitely it goes good together for for our tastes. I think that a little bit of cream, a little more sugar. And I think it would actually be really, really tasty. It, right right now, it's just spicy, watery chocolate with a pepper kick to it. And a, yeah. But um, 
that's that's chocolate. Uh, any final stories that you have that you want to throw in there? Um, not really. There's, I mean, there's a million different directions I could go. I'll, I'll give a shout out to Chocolate Bubble Yum. Oh, chocolate <laughs> bubble. I remember Chocolate Bubble Yum. There was a not super chocolatey, but weird. That weird chocolate flavor that like it was interesting. I liked Chocolate Bubble Yum. I have one one story in um in closing that I'll tell real quick about uh I did make a mole one time when when we used to fly to the last trip of the month we would fly with all the same people and we would go to you know hotel we, everyone the last trip of the month before we split up would be a potluck everyone would bring something and we got to our layover we would you know go into usually my room and we'd spread out all the booze and all of the food and we would have like a little potluck party I brought mole, chicken mole, and it was really good, and everyone ate the chicken mole, but they all left at the end of the night, and I was cleaning up, and I said, okay, well, I got to get rid of this chicken mole. There's about half a bowl, a pretty good-sized bowl full left, so I got this great idea that I was going to flush it down the toilet. Well, I put it in the toilet, I flushed it, and it wouldn't go down the toilet because it was oily and it kept coming back up and I still had some in the bowl and I knocked the bowl over and it landed on the toilet seat and on the floor of the bathroom. And it looked just like I had just shit your pants all over the floor. (laughs) So I get the towels and I'm wiping it up with the towels and I'm going, Oh my God, now it looks like I'm wiping up this stuff. towels, And I'm just going to throw it in the goddamn garbage can. The bathroom was a horror fest. I had no towels. I had to call and ask for more towels. I I snuck the towels out of there in a garbage bag and left them in the hallway, which probably even looked worse for the poor for the poor maid when she found this bag of brown. Well, it's lucky towels. you didn't break some a bottle of wine in there too, oh, and they would have oh, been just like we just oh. see the bloody stool in this. Uh... I I couldn't clean it up enough. I I left like five bucks, which probably wasn't enough for the maid because i know when she walked into that bathroom she just saw this horror scene but but bad experiences with chocolate are few and far between and uh it it's just a fun fun topic and and with that i i'm gonna call your attention over to the green room where i i don't know if that is some type of tardis time we're calling it the brown room today yeah the brown room but I see a bunch of chicks dressed in like 1985 garb and and dangly earrings and what the hell is going on in there? I I just is that a lazy Susan? I I don't understand what. I think it might be like colonoscopy clinic. Oh Jesus Christ! Well, it smells like a colonoscopy. <laughs> it, it's just bad. It's just poofy hair and and the music's not bad though. So uh, maybe I'll walk over there and check it out if you care to join me. Maybe we'll just uh, swap seats. Ooh. Greetings and salutations. I am Ray Ranker, the quirky shopkeeper of Ray Ranker Stuffed Delicious Candy Imaginarium. I am so whimsical, I have a stuffed elephant on my shoulder. Do you like chocolate? Well, this month is Sexy Chocolate Month. We're priming up the chocolate fountain and preparing to soak the public in creamy goodness. Check out these deals, if you dare. Naked Chocolate Bunnies, $12. 
add $2 for a kinky top hat or bow tie. Crunchy Click Cat Bars, $3. Milk Studs, $8 a box. Butterfinger Bangs, $3. And stop into our chocolate dunking room, where we will cast a mold of your most intimate protuberances and access ports. Imagine their surprise when they find their personalized chocolate treat under the Xmas tree. Priceless! So drop in today, but remember, the imagination is free. But you need money for the candy. Bring that! Check out the Imaginarium's filthy food truck, bringing all your erotic sweets to the people in the streets. Look for it in your neighborhood. Hello and welcome to Beat It. We have a especially sleazy episode of Beat It this this month. Uh, I am Mr. Peter Plugs, and I am here with famed cinematographer Double P. Back up, please. Let me get the right filter on you, and we are good. It's an acrobatic masterpiece. Without a doubt. And uh, it has been a while since we have uh, we've we've done a a film, you know. And Mm -hmm. you had suggested that, well, let's do the Dark Brothers. And right away, I liked the sound of the name. I'm dipping your toes into this for some Devil and Miss Jones later on as we as we continue along the Devil and Miss Jones series. And you said we we are going to do. New Wave Hookers, and I said, "Wow, okay, that that sounds that sounds great." I went into this blind, balls deep, without knowing anything about it, and wow, what 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 a film! Uh, before we get into New Wave Hookers and Gregory Dark, Greg, to your to his friends, I want to know your origin story how did you discover this was something you discovered early on or did something else lead you to this or to uh to greg dark's work well it was in a way completely random i think we've talked about earlier in the show i lived in a small little podunk town and we had in in the town we had two video stores which I imagine both had adult sections in the back, but we weren't getting into them. But there was a third video store that was literally <laughs> in the basement of somebody's house. And it was, uh, and Scott Gardner actually dated for a long time, seriously dated the, the, the daughter of the family that, that lived in that house, like just out of high school. Um, I just remembered that. But they had, they, you literally drove out into the country a couple miles to a little, just a house in the country, and you went in their basement and they had it all set up as a, as a video rental place. And the mother there was not shy about letting us rent adult movies. Like, my, my friend Todd Riley was brave enough to march right up and go like, can we look at the adult movies? And she just said, sure, and pulled a big book out from under the table. I remember those books. 
and we started flip we would flip through the book and look you know and we were in high school so we were like let's get rambone you know we would try to find <laughs> the most ridiculous because we were going to be we were watching them in a mixed crowd of guys and girls none of whom were having sex with each other but we're partying and stuff and you know so it was they were watched for shits and giggles on, on that at least in the general group sense i'm sure there were some people who were like Ugh. but um now this this is a little off topic but remember that video that we were talking about before the show um at, with the rabbit getting surgery Yes, 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 uh, yes. Remember the woman at the beginning of the video with the kid? I do. She was with us. Oh, okay. And she was punk punk rocked. And she saw New Wave Hookers and goes, We gotta write New Wave Hookers. Or New Wave yeah, New Wave Hookers. We gotta see what that what's up with that because you know, the cover of that had like you know, the girl in the in the New Wave makeup and stuff and she's just like, This is gonna be and she had struck a home run with this one called Roller Babies. Oh my that, god. That had lots of roller skating sex in it. So we were like gonna trust her judgment. Maybe. So we brought this home and watched it as a group and let me tell you, jaws were on the floor. We were just like, What the hell is this? One, one of the more unerotic porn movies ever. Yeah. Greg Dark was not into filming erotic porn he was into going for the basest elements of it and uh so what we were really left was the most entertaining part of this movie is the dialogue although the porn sequences are are so we'll get into that later but the 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 scenario and dialogue the surreal sets of this movie were ridiculous the 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 racial stuff in it The, the the political the politically in, quote unquote politically incorrect aspects of it is this, and and which is something that Greg Dark will, will will you know this is him dipping his toes in it he goes he was one of the like later on down the line he was one of the first people who like just did movies featuring black men and white women which just was was un, not done. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, you know, maybe you'd find a stag reel or something, rarely, or photos in a book, but not in mainstream porno movies. They just started doing, like, white guys with black women in, in movies. But, you know, other than, like, just sort of a novelty here and there, it was not something that was just, like, focused upon. And he went in, <laughs> he laser-focused on that. And all the the racial, Whoa. psychosexual stuff that you could possibly attach to it, he put right on the, the, the surface. He touched it all in, in this movie. Uh, now, when you talk about the Dark Brothers, it's kind of a misnomer because yeah. Gr- Gregory Dark um, was, you know, the, the main the main man behind these movies and uh the other brother was walter walter dark uh who not his brother sorry not his brother they weren't brothers but he was the producer he backed the money 
And Gregory was afraid that, you know, Walter was just going to get bored with this. So he said, hey, let's go in together and become the Dark Brothers. And they were one of the first uh, the producers that would actually put their pictures and their names on the porno movies. You know, you would they were dressed as basically two white hookers, uh, white, white pimps, you know, and there this is a dark brothers movie you would flip the box over and there they were they were part of the visual and they would go out in public in their personas and play it up yeah they would and and new wave hookers uh, a little bit about the movie it was made in 1985 and man you know it was 1985 and that's one of the things that gregory dark uh mentions that you know i was the first guy to go out and pick these girls in the 80s that looked like girls you would see in the clubs. This is the way that they looked uh, in 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 the wild. You know, these weren't, you get your porn stars, and but this was right down to the music, the way they dressed, this was the 80s. It took me back, of course, I got very little sex. <laughs> and now somebody like who did, like, didn't watch pornos in the 80s would go like, oh, it's a porno with 80s girls but all the girls in 80s were in the 80s were made up like farrah fawcett and soap opera stars you know they're blonde and and and, you know in barbie doll style and uh this was more hustler style i mean they they took that look to an extreme i mean where you would see a little makeup they had it smeared all over i mean this was madonna ribbons hanging out of their hair you know 20 ribbons in their hair a couple of blue waves in the hair and uh the plot of of uh new wave hookers is as it is as it is the story begins with jack baker and james gillis telling jokes as they watch porn and talk about women they fantasize how their lives would be better if they were pimps with women working for them. They discuss opening an escort business featuring new wave bitches who would become aroused after they hear new wave music. They both fall asleep to the TV static and much of the remainder of the film depicts the two men dreaming about different sexual encounters with women who become sexually receptive after listening to New Wave, which is, I thought was, was very funny because they would have these headphones on the chicks with these two huge dildos on each side. Or tits. There was one with tits, too. And dildos. And this would program the women to, uh, to basically be uh new wave hookers i guess and i have forgotten about new wave what what was new wave it was new wave music what we called 80s music back in the day 80s but it was it was 80s music it was 80s pop rock and it, but it had a heavy synth sound to it you yeah. know it had a, like a lot of really like programmed synths to it and um it, a lot of times a little bit of reggae thrown it like a light reggae well, you have, know, you ever, have you ever heard of the plugs? Because that, oh yeah, that I had never heard of the plugs. This this was the this was the band that, that by by the time this movie had came out, they had moved on to a different type of music, and and he got them to uh to go ahead and use their music, which was very which was very eighties sounding. Well, the thing uh, is, I was a fan of the plugs because the plugs did soundtrack music for uh, Repo Man, oh, okay. one of my favorite movies of all time. 
Well, wow, that was a pretty big score then for. Greg. And I think the plugs formed a band called Los Cruzados. Yes, that and was. And I think there was a Los Cruzados song on you, on uh, Rico Man too. You had recommended. It's amazing. Uh, I got we uh, the. I had listened to the link that you sent me to the Rialto report, which we can we've used before uh, for very good information on some of the, the... Uh, for uh, for a, for a porn podcast. I'll put it this way: we're for beginners, or we're for we're we're for fun. You know, yeah. we do a we do a short little report on something like that. Like here's this, you can go check it out further. The Rialto report goes deep. There they they are they do some have they track down the people and you know the Rialto report they're the ones who uh, uh tracked down candy samples they did and uh robert ward one of our listeners has uh had turned me on to it and uh and it, it's it's a great a great little uh a great little um you know podcast or website that you can go to to find out interesting stuff and and uh we, we had an interview with gregory dark which which he came off sounding you know like a very 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 articulate smart uh guy uh who had been he dipped his his uh, toes in a lot of things he was an artist and and he had a definite background in on the artistic side of of things and why why is this i mean this movie is is it should it be viewed as as groundbreaking? What makes this movie groundbreaking as opposed to the movies, uh, the porn that was maybe from the 50s, the 60s, yeah. the 70s? This is the 80s and the 90s. What differentiates it, his style? It was it was groundbreaking. I like as somebody at like I was just sort of describing, you know, my por my porn habits like. My private porn habits of the '80s were like any any other teenagers were magazines mostly, and you know, I there the, there was no way I was gonna watch porno tapes alone, you know, in a in a, a family household or whatever. So it was, so watching porno movies was sort of a group thing, but we 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 did it fairly regularly. This one, um, sort of took a lot of the pretense of porn, like there's definitely were porn movies and they were starting to do a lot of shot on video that t took any pretense of a story away and were just like, here's a bunch of just people, sex scenes, you know, that you can watch. And I remember having a weird conversation with my father when I was a kid going like, why wouldn't they make porno movies like real movies with story? He's like, that's not what you use porno <laughs> movies for. Though. You don't use them for you. You go watch a real movie if you want to watch a story. You want to watch a porn movie for about 10 minutes is what you want to do. And <laughs> so um, good, good father son advice. One of those Absolutely. great on Pappy's knees moments. But he had a good point. And and with this though they still put a quote-unquote story but this guy had like art school damage drug damage he's he was a smart guy he had a lot of art training he had some film training and he had he was well read he was he was obviously an avid reader of very edgy stuff and philosophical stuff so he came into it with an idea, you know, he it's it's very 
it had uh, you know he didn't want it to be erotic he wanted to be anti-erotic pretty much he, he wanted to push he wanted to satirize uh, according to him you know that and you know i mean whenever people are going on their politically incorrect 80s <laughs> stuff they're always like well we're satirizing it but i'll give a good argument to maybe he's totally right with that um but he wanted to be surre- he wanted it to be surreal and it sort of um was thumbing its face in the thing of you know the pretext of having a storyline or something going on with the sex he sort of made fun of that by here's our story but it's completely surreal and stupid we we you know we took minimum effort with the sets which is like something that often happened in porn movies but he did it with a weird you know instead of doing a cheap just a regular cheap set that tries to look realistic it doesn't even try no it's just a ridiculous and it, things are skewed there's an eyeball sitting on the table the words cat the word cat's ass is written not just randomly written on the wall yeah there's one point where he's just something like you get your rat ass out of here and over his shoulder it says cat ass cat's ass on the wall and i'm like there's more to this movie <laughs> there's more thought put into this movie than than there's also less thought cuz you know there's there's there, there's he went to the trouble of filming it on 35 millimeter yeah there's some bad sound in it but for the most part the cinematography is pretty good and the set design and the lighting's really nice but they just went and they didn't go for like salvador dali mind melting surrealism it's just a, a ba- this is these two guys dream that they have of running the new wave hookers and how it would work and they program them on a lazy susan in the back room yeah program them too long they go too crazy they get too sexual and you got to go have sex with them it kind of looked like a chinese restaurant where you can spin the middle of the table and get all of your chinese food (laughs) platter and yeah and you had mentioned that um he he definitely gregory dark definitely did have the an interesting background uh he began his career as a fine artist of both painting and conceptual art and installations and he graduated from with a master's of fine arts degree from Stanford University and that's when he moved to New York uh, to yeah. pursue graduate studies at in uh, film at the, at New York University so he definitely would you say that that maybe the interview had mentioned that his porn was was porn for the MTV generation which I can almost guess it was it but the thing is I remember watching it and we were kind of laughing at it because it was more like up to date than any porn like in the way it looked with the music like you know it was basically sort of like okay we're going to use like fairly fairly more professional new age music instead of just sort of like random background music that sometimes can be good if it's sort of chank and chank funk but he wanted to use stuff that sounded like mtv and then shoot it like an mtv video which nobody was doing at the time and uh i don't know it wasn't it wasn't hitting us like wow this is like mtv we were just like Oh, this is like the porno version of MTV. You know, the girls weren't quite right. You know, they were still like porno actresses dressed up as new age girls, but it was way closer than anything else. And really, 
ultimately, this movie was aimed at middle-aged pervs at that yeah. time. Because you're going to have to go to a theater or go to an adult store and buy the the tape if you're going to get it. It wasn't something like the MTV. It wasn't like today where like kids were going to teenagers could just go on the internet and download it and watch it you know yeah. so it was it was aimed at it was aimed at uh, probably a crowd that was older than the mtv audience but that crowd probably really wanted to see the mtv audience naked and having sex so you think so it was it had an extra layer of sleaze to it you know it's a sleazy dirty you feel you, you know you you feel like you've been KY'd top to bottom yeah. when you finish yeah, he, New Wave hookers. Now he he put a lot Any of Dark Brothers movie. He put a lot of his own persona into the movie, and he he loved the talking parts of the film uh, a lot. Uh, do you think that people that that's what they enjoyed? I mean, you had mentioned before this well, part, just the pool, the the cable guy coming and and you know, but he put some you know definite like ja Jamie Gillis isn't a bad actor. Mm. And I'm going to say this, Jack Baker, the, the black guy in this, his, his co J Jamie Gillis and Jack Baker are the two guys, the two main characters. Jack Baker is to Gregory Dark what Divine was to John Waters. He was like his muse as far as an actor goes. He was like the perfect vehicle for his, what he wanted Jack Baker obviously understood exactly what he wanted and was willing to just go 110%. I just I knew that he'd done real acting before this. I didn't know it was a Sid and Marty Croft show called Wonderbug. Oh, Wonderbug. <laughs> Do you know what Jack Baker's name in the movie was? What? Jamal Lincoln Bubba Washington. <laughs> Which goes and, to another part of of uh of gregory dark's persona he, racial satire he didn't care when when there lays was, it on thick well that's there's jack baker jack baker is willing to like like pimp on crack step and fetch it like 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 chris rock mixed with step and fetch it mixed with like the most crazed pimp ever in this manic little persona in a banana yellow tracksuit yeah yeah and i mean his body language he's just got this like in incredibly manic body language Bad. and stuff and and it's this thing of where He's semi-porn actor. A lot of times he doesn't have sex in the movies or he'll just have a little, just do a little bit. He'll whip it out a little bit or something. But, like, you know, he'll also do full porno and stuff. But he's, a, like, you could probably take him and put him in a Quentin Tarantino movie and get, well, you can't now. He's, he died of cancer in 94. But, you know, you probably, you know, he, you probably could have gotten a really good performance out of him in a, in a movie with the right director. And with Gregory Dark, you know, I don't know if they wrote his dialogue or if they just gave him the gist and let him improvise, he but well he's more or less the same guy in every Dark Brothers movie, and he carries that movie on his shoulder, all those movies on his shoulders like a champion. I mean, Jamie Gillis is, is decent, but he's Jamie Gillis. He's also got that kind of like... 
ah, I'm drunk and on coke, <laughs> you know. I'm wearing a tie with my and, t-shirt. And, and he had him speaking in a in a really bad oh, when, oh. not he was normal when he was watching TV, but yeah. when in his persona, pimp persona, he was Chinese randomly. Yeah, cool. He had no problem with the racial satire. When the Chinese uh, uh, girl came in, of course, you hear the traditional Chinese music playing in the background. Ding 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 ding. ding. And and you know he goes on to make uh, and she feeds like, him sushi. <laughs> yeah, he goes on like, to make films like Black Throat, Between the Cheeks. Let me tell you about black chicks, and which actually and and mo- most infamously, let me tell you about white chicks, because that was the one where it was like all black men on white women. Well, which I think I think let me tell you about was was that which was the one that had the the guys in the clan hoods having sex with Let's let me uh, tell you about black chicks. Yeah, which is like crazy, crazy, but in the interview he said, "You know what? I really never got any any feedback from that. Nobody ever uh gave me any shit about that at all." It was expected of him, I think, and it was a porno movie. It wasn't like today though. Porno movies were in the background and like almost like the press isn't going to want to bring him up because it would almost like call attention to him. So he sort of existed in his own little strata and everybody knew a Dark Brothers movie was going to be you know charged like that. And he was all he was really into the racial stuff and he was really about things going up women's butts and butts. <laughs> so you know, that that might have been an artistic choice of it. He might have been based off his preferences or something. I would hope so as an auteur, well, like Russ Meyer with his Busomania. Oh, that absolutely. He, that Greg Dark was, was a butt man. But maybe that he was just like focused with putting it up the butt because nobody else was putting it up the butt with any regularity. And he was like, I'm going to make it my thing because that's the dirtiest thing going right now. And, and this movie came off with a lot of awards back in 1996 from the adult, uh, 86 from the Adult Film Association of America. This one, yeah, this best, best musical score, The Plugs. I remember Song. reading Hustler Magazine put out a movie guide. <laughs> and their review of this was, it was like, you know, they gave it, they gave it the highest rating, which is fully erect, but they said, you won't get direction from this movie because it's not erotic, but they're like, you got to hand it to him. This is like the most entertaining porn movie in, you know, decades and decades. Yeah. Best trailer. It's not best boring. Scene, best cinematography, best art and set decoration. Yeah, yeah, sure. Best costume design, best advertising. Uh, awards uh, campaign, best product for a fe- best packaging for a feature film, best supporting actor, best sex scenes in a feature film, uh, best overall marketing campaign. But this movie also was not without controversy. Um, this one it, actually did get attention paid to it. Yes, it, it did uh, because of uh, well, you're gonna if you find this movie, you're gonna get the cut. Uh, version of it and you're not going to see uh, you better hope you get the cut you version better of hope it. you get the cut version of it you're not going to see uh tracy um lords who played uh the devil in this movie because she was pretty young 
when she they... had not yet re- reached the age of consent when she was in this oh. movie. Now, now let's not blame it on this movie because she had appeared in Penthouse before this movie. And she had, and she had all the proper credentials, and they weren't making girls that looked like that when I was that age. But this started, this actually almost broke a lot of uh, films that she had been in because people scrambled to get these films off of the shelves. They they scrambled to, to you know, the magazines, everything that she was in. They, they went from a legal item that you could have in your house yes. to kitty porn, something that would get you shanked in jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, uh, people said that, oh, you know, she was on drugs and she didn't know what she was doing with it. But a lot of the actors that worked with her said that she was fully aware of uh, well, yeah, but that's uh, you know, I mean, that's just, I mean, legally, that's all yeah, there is to it. She like, no matter how wa- wasted or not wasted she was, she was under the age of consent. So, basically, a whole lot of Tracy Lord's work had to get pulled out of the shop and confiscated by the FBI and um, and New Wave Hookers, which was an intensely popular movie, was sort of like in a bad situation. So. It what was. they basically did was they chopped out her. She only had one sex scene in it, so they chopped yeah. it out and they, they re- changed the cover art to Ginger Lynn. Yes, they did, and and she was gone. And it, and uh, I don't know if if that. So the movie exists. You can go out and get the movie. Yeah, it just that, ain't gonna have we're not Tracy Lords in it. Now I gotta tell you, I I I did when I was in high school. I saw the Tracy Lords version. And I'll tell you this, the Tracy Lord scene is not one of the standout scenes. It's, it's fun because she's the devil and she, I, I think it was like an angel. She was having sex with a guy who was like pretending to be an angel or religious or something. But it was basically just like two people having sex. The, the, the sex scene in this one that's, that went down in history was the Ginger Lynn double penetration by the yeah. two nerd guys. Yeah, which I think was probably... Who are so uh, creepy. Well, I think it's... probably Revenge of the Nerds had probably come out around this time, if I'm not mistaken. So they goes, hey, let's throw in some nerds. They seem to be very popular uh, right now. And and yeah, that was, that was the... Uh, yeah, but they're not even Revenge of the Nerds. No. Like, Revenge of the Nerds would be like, oh, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> These guys were like little, like, little pervy guys. Yeah, sleazies. Yeah, they were they were definitely sleazy and and slimy. Kind of, they were more like frat guys and nerds in, in action, but they were dress, they're dressed up and their, their hair's really greasy. And, uh, yeah, the guys are generally... What's funny about dark, and this is another funny thing about dark movies that he shares with Russ Meyer is sleazy, sleazy guys, women, but the women are in control, like, or are not, not maybe in control because they're being mind controlled in this by new oh, age yeah. music. But yeah. in all the sex scenes, the women are dominant. Yes, yes. The women are telling the men what to do, what they want them to do, what they should do, what they like. You know, the women are in charge from moment one. They they always come in like and almost immediately establish dominance. Yeah. Another thing he had mentioned in the interview that he was one of the 
He said he's one of the first people to empower women in that way. Uh, and and people people liked it. And yeah, and, and here's another thing about and, and later on in his career, he sort of went like John Waters went tamer and yes. you know, like like started out with in cinematically with porn and then notched it down to erotic thrillers like r-rated erotic thrillers yeah like made for tv style erotic thriller movies music you know like hbo cinemax late night type movies and then the music videos yeah (laughs) but like big time like britney spears and stuff he was getting good high high paying jobs it must have been i wonder if it was difficult for him with his resume to to break into music videos or well, according to him it was absolutely not because he had lots of fans that and that's and here's the thing about the racial aspects of his movies he started getting offers from rap bands left and right dmx and stuff like that because they were all fans of his movies especially new new wave hookers and especially fans of jack baker so that that racial stuff was actually like entertaining (laughs) i don't know all black people but there was definitely a segment of like artistic black people who saw that movie and said who directed this i love them i would love to have them do my rap video you know so instead of saying like what the hell? This guy needs to go to prison or whatever. <laughs> you know, so, so whatever he was doing, you see, and that's the thing that I find about racial humor, like as a kitchen worker, is that there's a certain over the topness that is acceptable. It not only is acceptable, but is like uproarious to to all racial parties involved you know where like you go so over the top that they go like that guy's <laughs> fucking crazy and he's hilarious you know it, it busts past the barrier and the thing about jack baker is is it comes off funny instead of like mean you know yeah. there's the 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 there's it's the the racial aspects of it aren't mean. Some of the sex stuff is kind of mean and gross, but the 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 racial aspect of it in it is just oh, so over the top that it it's almost impossible to take it seriously. And you know, I mean, DMX and his friends were all probably smoking blunts watching this movie, like and laughing their asses off. You know, he he found this niche, man. Yeah. Let me ask you, you have a an extensive film background his work has been called performance art would you label it as performance art his his porn i've seen one of his erotic thrillers i checked out one of his erotic thrillers and i gotta say i was not impressed it wasn't terrible but it was it was um um you know by the by the books you know it was it was just any erotic it was any lots of nudity movie on cinemax you know what i mean it was it, it didn't have something you, you know i mean 
in his interview, he said, well, I like to end, I would end, my thing with those is I always ended them dark. You know, they always ended, and they did. They were like Twilight zone sort of more endings, you know, or just more downbeat endings. But they, but that wasn't very, you remember that show, The Hitcher on HBO? Barely. I do remember The Hitcher. It, it was, was a different story. Every... It was like a Twilight Zone with yeah. erotic overtones. And it was basically, he was doing sort of his version of, I mean, it wasn't the same concept like a Twilight Zone thing. But in essence, it was the same sort of like a dark little sort of horror tinged or just sort of violent crime story tinged, you know, erotic pot boiler. It was very generic. I don't even remember the, the title of it. I've seen his music videos and I never would place them as Greg Dark videos. They're, they're really good videos. But by that point, I think he'd become very, like a lot more professional and like approaches the music videos more as like, I'm gonna serve the artist, you know? It's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool actually, I think that like he's transitioned into the, into that i think he's was sort of like holy shit you know i want to i want to keep these all coming so he so every his videos are not don't aren't like new new wave hookers so you think it was a natural transition for him or something that he saw that maybe i think it was just luck just, timing he seems to be from his interview a pretty goddamn lucky guy for the, the thing about it, like go, transitioning into the erotic thrillers, that's sort of something like if you're a, if you're a decent director, and that's the thing is, you know, new wave hookers, anything like that, that just gave him a name recognition for that, and that's what got me to watch his erotic thriller. But for the most part, with erotic thrillers, the company that's giving you money to make an erotic thriller just wants you to get it done, and have the right amount of nudity in it yeah then get it done get it done good so it looks nice and professional showtime and, night stuff yeah and that's and that's it you become sort of like a crap a workman like product producer and that is but that's very that's very lucrative it keeps you in work and it keeps you busy in it and, and once you start getting a uh string of those you start really getting you know like probably they figure when they when he first started doing the erotic thrillers they're like oh we'll get greg dark we'll use his reputation but then they were like this guy knows how to run a set you know yeah and he, get, and he gets it done on time and he gets it done on budget so let's keep giving him jobs and then by the time he was doing video music videos he was a battle-hardened you know full full director uh, like anybody else professional director so like say, his work looks like that would you yeah. say that 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 he followed a path that a lot of other directors didn't like you had mentioned john waters met mainstream russ myers couldn't really make that jump uh into he tried well he made that he had a couple little tries at it but Russ Meyer was different, though. Russ Meyer, I mean, when he started making movies, they were very competent. He was a photographer before that, and it was a different industry. Greg Dark is very, I mean, the the um, 
you know, New Wave Hookers is very art is very film student looking. It's a young person's idea. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm in it. There's a lot of ideas in it. He did, but he didn't know how to. You know, he'd worked on a couple of movies before, so he knew a little bit about the set. But he's inexperienced, so he has some bad sound and stuff like that. But it's it's just that sort of like burst of inspiration or art, you know, where he has an idea, it gets done. It, but it's it's a it's a sloppy movie, you know. It's yeah. it's not it's it's not the 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 work of a fine-tuned professional, and it, and it benefits for that. And his as his like when we get to Devil and Miss Jones, it's it's up a level or two. Yeah, he has you a thought for Devil and Miss Jones for uh was it four and five, four. three and four. But three and four that he did. He said he likes them as one movie. Uh, and I, the, I mean, they're each one hour a piece. So yeah, I there you that's go. ones that we're definitely going to hit on later. I have not seen that, but he did. He did pique my curiosity to maybe see, you know, his evolution and see what what he does, uh, what he does next. But as would you recommend this uh, as a good stepping on point for anyone that might want to look into his films? Or this would... is this is the de- this is why we're we're doing it now is because. Before you watch Devil and Miss Jones Part Three, you, you really need to watch this one first, because it it's 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 the beginnings, you know. This this is this is the dip your feet into it. This is where he got got get, gets a lot of his ideas. Okay, here's a here's a comparison for horror fans. Have you ever seen the original Evil Dead? Yeah. And then, and then they sort of remade it. Evil Dead 2 was Evil Dead 2 Dead by Dawn, but it was just basically this time they got the money to do it as a, as a, a more budgeted movie. So they basically remade it with a lot more bells and whistles. Never that's, what, that. that's what Devil and Miss Jones is. He's, he's up a level in skill and budget and like he got to really like conceive it and put it together more it's got some some of the same production problems but it also but a lot less of them and the ideas are uh, it it takes place in hell so you have a lot more (laughs) possibilities for surrealism and minimalist sets which seems right up his alley and a lot of opportunity for fucked up but there's also another level to it that i don't even want to talk about till we get to it because it's it's i don't want to i don't want to give too much of it away i don't want i, I don't want to get you into devil and miss jones three and four mode before we hit devil and miss jones two because yeah. i don't want that's a whole different <laughs> well I, I this was really this was really fun uh to why I, I really enjoy looking at uh, things I, I've never heard of, um, movies I've never seen, directors I've never seen. This was definitely a very, very, very fun one to uh, look into. And, and uh, I want to give a little side note on this, too. Please do. With, with another movie. Um, in 1982, there was a movie called Cafe Flesh. And that was sort of the that was sort of the spiritual forerunner of this. A lot of the stuff that this movie did, Cafe Flesh did first. 
Cafe Flesh was art students who wanted to make a, a surreal movie, couldn't get money for it, found out if they put porn into it, that, that all of a sudden there's a lot of people who would give them money to make the movie. So they wrote a surreal post-apocalyptic porn movie. Well, uh, with uh, all set on with heavily music scenes, way more unerotic than like, uh, like Thunderdome in a in a whorehouse or something. Yeah, yes, yes. Actually, that's very, very close. What the the it's post nuclear war, and there's two types of people. There's sex positive and sex negative people. Sex negative people have no can't have sex they they just don't like the men can't get erections the women just are listlessly but they're still fascinated by sex so in this society if you're sex positive you have to go and work at a place like cafe flesh where you have sex on stage for all the rest of the zombie-like people, the, the sex-negative people, the majority, the vast majority of people just to sit and watch as part of these, like, in you know, cabaret shows. And the story's about a, char- a character, a woman who, and her husband, I don't know if he's husband or boyfriend, I think husband, and he's sex negative and she's pretending to be sex negative because she wants to, she loves him and wants to stay with him but if anybody finds out that she's sex positive she's got to go perform on in cafe flesh and leave her husband you see that you see that listeners not only do we provide you with the hard hitting investigative reporting for current movies we're also going to give you homework to go and check out cafe flesh so that you can better understand the line that we are trying to follow on beat it yes yeah a little little food for thought so do your homework tonight um check out new wave hookers the please check out the um uh the new version don't go fishing around (laughs) for the for the old one because you don't want that sitting on your hard drive on your computer. I don't know if they still go after people for Tracy Lord's videos, but they, I mean, they certainly can, you know, it's technically very illegal. If you do find it, not not only will you be sleeping on your back, but you'll be sleeping on your back in jail. So the scary thing about Tracy Lord's is, is she did turn 18 and keep making porn movies. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot there are legal Tracy Lords porn movies out there, but like all I gotta say is do your homework if you wanna watch Tracy Lords movies that are like porn movies and not John Waters movies, do your homework and find out if the one you're watching is one you're supposed to supposed to watch. I guess you gotta learn what year it, whatever year it was she turned eighteen and <laughs> watch any made after that year or you could watch many of her guest appearances on uh, sitcoms <laughs> later on oh yeah and then john waters movies and in video games and john stuff yeah waters was crybaby what was it she was i think she was in crybabies i think was that the john waters movie that she was in i'm not she's been in a couple of them but yeah, yeah there was there was one of them yeah I think it was Crybaby. It's I, it's I, hard to say. She might have she might have been in Hairspray. I'm not. I, I don't know. I gotta I have gotta to. go back and look. Or or um, you can like catch her on all those other little guest appearances that you're gonna 
that you're um, gonna find her on. Uh, what's the Al Bundy show? What was that called? Oh, Married with Children. Yeah, was little, she unmarried? Yeah, she had a little guest appearance on Married with Children, so you can go check that out, and uh, you can do that in the comfort of your own home without uh, having anyone beat your door down. <laughs> right, right. The only beating that should be going on is with yourself. So yeah, yeah. Right. No, no uh, neighborhood watch lists for you. <laughs> no pulling the shades. Yeah, the the neighbors won't be seeing your house blinking red on the internet. <laughs> oh God! With with that, I'm I'm gonna go and take a shower. I feel gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking this industrial bottle of degreaser in with me. <laughs> we'll see, uh, we'll see you next month. Hopefully, if not, we'll uh, we'll come visit you in the in the uh, slammer. Okay. <laughs> we'll write you anyway. <laughs> I don't know if they can listen to podcasts in the slammer or any. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, they can always... Uh, we, we, yeah, they listen to podcasts in the slammer. I'm sure they could. They must have. Uh, you can go to the, to the library and, and check it out. <laughs> hey, does anybody in prison listen? And drop <laughs> us a line if you can. Drop us a line. Just don't send us any pictures. We'll okay. send you a chocolate birthday cake. Yeah. Wink, wink. With a file in it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> It'll be a corrupted file. Of course, of course. A file that you have to wait until you're at least 21 to view. It'll be an MPEG file. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you next month. Uh, or not. We'll see if we don't get shut down. This fire burning inside of me Cause of love I lost in the alley She appeared when she disappeared Into a cloud of graffiti Graffiti She electrified me Radioactive hair stuck in the sky a plastic bag, a gun inside Green cowboy boots and a black straight legs She electrified me She electrified me She electrified me Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
frankly, I don't even think you got it, man. I think you a deadhead, a rat's ass, and a fool to boot. Mm -hmm. oh.